Babylon is saying, we offer you status, position, wealth, respect, and all you got to do is bow. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image. So we've got this long list. It's almost like a, well, could I say comical? The list is repeated twice, and it's repeated verbatim two times. And it's like it's, the list has to go through every single name. Satraps, the governors, the justices, all these different, your translation may have them, Translated a little bit differently, but the idea is the same. It's basically covering the gamut of every, everybody who was a leader in any sort of way. And it goes through the list two times, almost in a sense that is, again, I think intended to be, let me use this word, satirical. You know what satire means? Satire means poking fun or humorously looking to the foolishness of people making a humorous observation about the foolishness of people in order to make a point. That's satire. I think the writer, I think Daniel here, is using a very heavy hand of satire in chapter 3. One of the reasons that we sometimes fail to, to follow all of the Bible's train of thought is that sometimes we can read our Bibles too stoically. The Bible contains actually lots of periods of humor. Sarcasm. Paul used sarcasm a lot. Jesus even used sarcasm. But here's one of those instances where I think that Daniel is using satire. He's poking fun at the foolishness of people in order to make a point. So two times he goes through this list and it's almost just like, I don't know. Imagine, you know, the circus, the car, that has like 74 clowns in it, or seems to have 70, they're really just sort of going around. But it's like these clowns never stop coming out of the car. That's the picture that I think that Daniel's drawing for us. It's this big gaggle of people who are supposed to be the leaders. And they will fall down in front of an inanimate object. And worship it. I think that that's Dan, one of Daniel's points is to say these people are supposed to be the smartest people in Babylon. They are a bunch of fools. The same thing is going to come through a little bit later when we hear about the instruments. You know, they, they, they play the music. When, when the music starts, you're supposed to bow. It goes through that list three times. It's almost hard to miss that the writer is saying that this is just, I'm just poking fun at. These people who are supposed to be so influential, so smart, so perceptive, and they are bowing to a statue. The parallels to our day are fantastic because we live in an age just like this one. In order to see that, all you need to do is see, depending on how you want to divide it up, the two or three gods of this day. There are two or three gods 
two or three main central gods. They are the god of abortion, death, human autonomy, and the god of sexual progressiveness slash gender, gender transition, whatever you want to call that. Those are the two gods of this day. Those are the two images. And just like in Daniel's day, the smartest people in our society, the leaders who are supposed to have common sense and perception and insight, are falling down before that which everyone with a brain knows is absolute ridiculousness. And yet they're falling down before it. And Daniel's just sort of poking fun at this in a serious sort of way. The smartest people of Babylon are bowing to a piece of wood and metal and brick. The smartest people in our day are likewise bowing to that which a four-year-old child knows is utterly false. So, the Bible will often poke fun at the foolishness of idol worshipers. There's many occasions that we see this. One of the places that we see this is, for example, Isaiah chapter 44. I'm not going to read this whole passage. It's a long one. You know, are you familiar with the passage? This is where the prophet Isaiah is saying, look at how foolish this is. Here's a guy who makes an idol out of a piece of wood. Part of it he makes his idol and he bows down and worships. But then the wood that's left over, he, he builds a fire with that and cooks his food and eats his food while he's worshiping the other half of the log. And Isaiah is saying, that is foolishness. So the Bible will often take this idea of idol worship and use it as satire or sort of poking fun at the foolishness of those who would fall for such a thing. So this is what I think we see, I think, clearly throughout the chapter. Now, picking up here at verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, here we go with the instruments, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, that would have been a, a triangular type of harp, a harp, bagpipe. You didn't know the Scots were there, did you? Did you know the Scots were in ancient Babylon? Uh, actually, that's actually a good translation because the bagpipe didn't come from Scotland. It's much older than that. So this would have been a primitive type of bagpipe with uh, goat skin bags. One would have been filled by your breath and the other would blow through reeds like a modern bagpipe. But this this bagpipe would have been more primitive. It's one of the thousands of instruments that mankind has made over our history that have passed out of existence Many, many instruments, some instruments that haven't passed out of existence that should have, like accordions and kazoos and stuff. But the bagpipe is one of those that they actually had these bagpipes in ancient Babylon, and they were part of this uh, this other list, and every kind of music. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So look at the ridiculousness of it. So there's going to be music played. All these people are going to play. And when the music plays, that's when you fall down and worship. If it were a God, why did you need to wait for the music? If it were a God, worship the thing. Why does music need to tell you, oh, now's the time to worship this God thing? 
the foolishness, the ridiculousness. It's like musical chairs, you know, it's, it's just the opposite. When the music stops, you sit down. Here, when the music starts, you bow down. What a ridiculous picture that Daniel is painting for us. Verse 6, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. So the furnace was going. This whole episode, we should think of this episode as happening in rapid fire suggestion. This is not drawn out. The people come here, they gather together, and everything happens. One right after the other. The whole episode probably takes something like 15 minutes. So the furnace is going. It's a large enough furnace, as we know, that it's going to be big enough for people to be thrown into it. And the furnace is already lit. You're smelling the smoke. You see the smoke rising. You feel the heat from the furnace. It's right there. Here's your choices. There's an image. There's a furnace. Make your choice. And everyone who doesn't choose to fall down and worship will be thrown into the furnace. Now, this was a threat that Nebuchadnezzar would make good on, as we know how the story plays out. But he's already made good on this threat because Nebuchadnezzar has a reputation of burning people. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 22, Jeremiah speaking here of false prophets. He says, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. So Babylon offers here, look at what Babylon is offering. These are all, once again, this isn't the citizens. This isn't the population. These are the leaders. Babylon is saying, we offer you status, position, wealth, respect, and all you got to do is bow. That's all you got to do. Just bow to our God and you can have all this. But if you don't, you will get that. Are you seeing the parallels? It's magnificent how this could have been written about 21st century Western culture. You can have all this. You can have position. You can have respect. All you got to do is bow to our idols. And if you don't, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Now, we don't put people in fiery furnaces today, but we certainly have, have fiery furnaces of society, don't we? Yeah. You can lose your position. You can lose your status. You can lose your job, your opportunities. All these sorts of things are the fiery furnaces of today. And we'll keep you out of those. In fact, we'll give you all this other. Here's all you have to do is bow to this ridiculous false, nonsensical God just one time. And it's all over. And so, the crisis is now set up. Again, from verse 7. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the harp, pipe, here we go again with the list. As soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, Bagpipe and every, every kind of music, all the people's nations' languages fell down and worshiped the golden image. Notice, notice there is, as soon as they heard it, they're eager. Yeah, give us that. Just bow down. That's all we got to do. You got it. We'll gladly bow down to whatever God you want. So as soon as they heard it, they bowed down. All the people that, or all that were there bowed down before the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
So Nebuchadnezzar here, it's plain to see that what he's doing is he's setting himself up as the false god. He's setting himself up as the alternative for the living God, which is what the kingdom of evil always does and what the kingdom of evil only does. Everything that's evil in your life, every sin in your life, all of it is the same in the sense that all of it is a perversion of something good. All of your sin is a distortion and a perversion of something that began as good. And so the entire kingdom of evil is simply that. It is counterfeit, counterfeit good, counterfeit righteousness, counterfeit God. And so the kingdom of evil offers us this perversion or this counterfeit everything. So everything is a counterfeit of what God has made good. Nebuchadnezzar is setting himself up as the counterfeit of God. Verse 8, Therefore, At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, two times they're going to refer to them as the Jews. There was no need to call them Jews. The gripe that the Chaldeans have is that they're not bowing down and worshiping. What does that have to do with them being Jews? But you can pick up here that there's some anti-Semitism. There's some some ethnic hatred, I think. They're, They're jealous that Nebuchadnezzar has elevated these people to the position that they are. And it sort of galls them that they're foreigners. Now, the nation is a conglomeration of ethnicities. As all kingdoms throughout history, almost all kingdoms have been a conglomeration of ethnicities. Babylon is the same. And so this is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. By bringing all these leaders out into the countryside, they're made up of all different ethnic groups. And Nebuchadnezzar wants to test their loyalty, their loyalty to him. If you're going to be leaders in my kingdom, I just need to make sure you're loyal to me. That's the whole point. So there's this group of Jews here that aren't bowing down. And by the way, we have no reason whatsoever to believe that Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah are the only Jews. But there's these Jews here that don't bow down. And the accusation is those Jews aren't bowing down. You hear the anti-Semitism in there? You hear the hatred of God's people? There's a parallel to this that occurs about the same time, a little bit later in history. But the parallel is the book of... Esther, which takes place also in the kingdom of Babylon, which also has the context of the people who hate the ethnic people of God, and they're going to rise up against them, etc., etc. Okay? So, there's, they came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Verse 9, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of, of, of a horn, here we go again, hears the sound of a horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, Harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace right over there. There are certain Jews. Here we go the second time. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed. I'm reminding you, Nebuchadnezzar, you've you've set them up as leaders and they are not bowing down. You've appointed them over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So there's these Jews here. They are the lone ones that are not bowing down. Now, in my mind, I have this image, this picture of what the scene must have looked like. You've seen these images of Muslim prayer time. And there'll be hundreds of people on a prayer rug, on their knees, on their toes, and their forehead. And they're all sort of lined up in perfect rows. 
Imagine that kind of scenario and three people, I don't know if they're in the middle, maybe they're up front. Three people who are standing. Are they going to stand out? They're going to absolutely stand out. So brothers and sisters, if you are not prepared to stand out, it's time to get prepared. Because God's people will stand out in today's culture exactly like Hananiah, Mishaiah, and Azariah stood out when hundreds of people were on their foreheads and they were standing. So they are the lone ones who are standing apart. Reminds us of Exodus chapter 32 when Moses said to the people, all who are in the camp of God on this side and everyone else on the other side, they're going to stand apart. Now verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage... The wording there is very strong. In a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar is beside himself. In fact, he takes it as a personal affront. In the mind of Nebuchadnezzar, there is no good reason why they should not bow to this God. And so the only reason they wouldn't is a personal affront to Nebuchadnezzar. Two times we're going to be told how angry he is about this. Irrationally angry, we might say. Now here comes yet another parallel in our day. Because are we not living in an age and in a culture in which if you don't agree with a, the progressive agenda God, then you are nothing more than offense. Because there's no rational reason not to agree, not to worship this God. There's no rational reason. You have no Valid reason for not bowing down to the God of this age. And so therefore we take this personally. This makes us angry. Is that not the age we're living in? So Nebuchadnezzar, taking it personally, he's furious. He commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is this true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, here we go again. Now, when you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you hear the humor. You hear just Daniel saying, which by the way, Daniel wasn't here. How's Daniel writing this? I think clearly he's been told by Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah. They're the ones, none of the rest of the book of Daniel has satire in it, only this chapter. So they're the ones that are telling this story, and in their mind, This is just a bunch of absolute foolishness from people who should have known better than this. So here we go again with the list of instruments once again. But I'm going to give you one more chance, says Nebuchadnezzar. When you hear the music, that's your cue. When you hear the music, bow down to that God, the image right over there, the image that I have made. If you do so, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately, again, the furnace is ready and burning. You shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That sentence right there is highly emphatic. We might translate it, who in the world could be such a God that would deliver you from this? Verse 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we don't need to explain ourselves. We don't need to defend ourselves in this matter, O king. We don't need to tell you our reasonings. We're just going to tell you that we are not going to bow down to your gods. 
We have no need to answer you in this matter, verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So that's a little bit of a confusing phrase right there. We know he will deliver us. We know he's able to deliver us. We know he's going to deliver us. But if he doesn't deliver us, then we're still not going to worship your God. It's a little bit confusing. And I think the point here is this. The point is, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishaiah, they understand the point of the book. The point of the book, again, is God delivers his people ultimately. Often he delivers them in earthly ways, but ultimately he is guaranteed to deliver his people ultimately. So they say... We will be delivered from your hand, King Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, your fiery furnace will not burn up our soul. Because we know the God who has the power not only to kill the body, but to throw one in hell afterwards. We know Him and we know He will deliver us from your hand. You might burn us in the furnace. He might deliver us out of the furnace or He might not. Either way, we will be delivered to Him. In fact, your furnace is going to accelerate His deliverance of us. So they express this faith, and the faith that they express, this is really important to see, the faith that they express is a faith not in God's deliverance, but in God. The difference there is really crucial to see. They don't have faith that God will deliver them. They have faith in God. Or to put it another way, they don't have faith in God's blessing. They have faith in God. That is a very crucial, helpful, and important difference to grasp. That our faith must be grounded and rooted upon God, not what He might or might not do in this life. When God's blessings dry up, He's just as good. When God's deliverance doesn't come, He's just as good. When God delivers us over to the trial Himself, He's just as good. This is a hard thing to learn that I'm still working on for decades now, to learn the truth that I cannot measure God's love by my circumstances. Because in my circumstances, God is doing all kinds of things. He might be blessing me in circumstances. He might be teaching me in circumstances. He might be disciplining me in circumstances. Plus, He might be using my circumstances in the lives of others. In fact, He is using my circumstances in the lives of others. So you see how futile it is for me to gauge God's love by my circumstances. But that is a hard thing to learn. Because the human heart wants to just automatically go right back to viewing God's love for you or viewing His goodness in terms of your circumstances, we must teach our hearts diligently. Our circumstances cannot be a measurement of God's goodness or God's love. The only thing that is an accurate measurement of God's goodness and God's love is the cross. That is the only thing that we can always infallibly look to and say, this is the measure of God's love. In that He sent forth His Son to die for us. You know, the New Testament never mentions God's love without mentioning the cross. Did you know that? 
Nowhere in the New Testament does it reference God's love for His people without, in the same context, mentioning the cross. Because that is the measurement of God's love for His people. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.